0: I just interrupted Mary Ellen. We have a presentation we want to make first. These are (laughs) for you.
1: Oh, those are beautiful. We love you, Barbara. (laughs) Barbara. These, these are because we appreciate everything that Barbara has done from the beginning for the past 18 months. She's the one that wanted and pushed to have the R2 convention in San Diego. And... If it wasn't for her, we would not all have had this opportunity to do service at this level. And that is in spite of accidents, in spite of sickness, in spite of everything, she has always been here. And she had a commitment to have the convention here in San Diego. And uh, we're all grateful that she has. And with that, once again i
0: Mary Ellen. Okay.
2: I guess I need two introductions. Hi, I'm Mary Ellen, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Mary Ellen. In 38 short days, I will have three decades of abstinence. I have remained at a medically sound weight range using the tools and working the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous and I'm happy to share that with you. You're probably wondering how is that possible? How can someone Keep coming back to Overeaters Anonymous for 30 years. Well, it's difficult. (laughs) I know. I've gone to those meetings, and I've said to myself, not coming back here. If she says that again, (laughs) I'm walking out the door. If he quotes the big book again, the same page from the big book again, I'm going to curse, or maybe I'm going to shoot him, or better yet, I'm going to shoot me. Maybe I'll start another meeting. No, they'll probably follow me there. So on a more serious note, I'd like to tell you what has uh, kept me from leaving Overeaters Anonymous for 30 years. And uh, there are many ways to work the 12 steps to treat my soul sickness. I came to Overeaters Anonymous 30 years ago with a soul sickness. I was jealous of my older sister... I was angry at my mother because she kept having babies. I was embarrassed when I was 12 and 13 because my youngest brothers were born, nine kids, hid from my friends. All of those things made me feel ashamed and guilty. And I started thinking couldn't live in my head, couldn't deal with that silence and all those thoughts of my instincts run wild. So I turned to food. And then later on, someone up there, down there, I don't, I don't know where, someone, my higher power, said, get that chubby girl, Mary Ellen. She's going to wreak havoc on this planet. Think I'll give her a little grace, and send her to Overeaters Anonymous. And so here I am. The mainstay of my activity and my participation in Overeaters Anonymous, I stumbled on 23 years ago. And that is a closed, committed step study. For the last 23 years, every single Monday night, with some breaks. I have met in someone's home and read about, wrote about, shared, made commitments a week at a time to practice the principles that are embedded in the steps, like honesty and faith and hope. And when you do that over 23 years, three or four times a year, and you focus on each step, I got to take contrary action. And slowly but surely, I started to become a person that I liked and a person who wanted to come to Overeaters Anonymous to practice those principles in all my affairs. So if I wanted to, I didn't need to come to Overeaters Anonymous. One step study at a time. The first step study uh, that occurred at my home, we were meeting at one of the uh, trustees' homes, Vivian. Some of you remember her. And she died. And so a group of us just sat around and said, what are we going to do? And I said, okay, I will do it just this once. You know, I have young kids. I'll just do it once, and then 17 years later, <laughs> times four times a year. Here I am, and um, step uh, 12 suggests that we practice the principle of service. And um, this year, I'm going to be passing the baton on to someone else because I'll be uh, living in Cameroon, Douala, Cameroon, for two years, and reaching overeaters in another country. I've done this before. It's possible to stay abstinent overseas. So what happened during those step studies? I put my hand in the hands of other women who came to my home. And the first one that I had, I had young children, and I, I had a sponsee in my life at that time. She lived in Santee. She had kids the same age as my kids, and we just couldn't, we couldn't figure it out. How are we going to do this? And our higher power came to help. We were powerless. We asked for help, and we figured it out. We hired a babysitter to watch all four kids, and she took them to the pool Every single Monday night. They had a blast. They became friends. And my sponsee and I from Santee, we were able to put our oxygen masks on first, go to OA, practice those principles in all our affairs, and then we were available for our children. What else? Let's see. There were a few times during the step study when I went out of town. One of them was when I went on my honeymoon with my husband. And the group was fine meeting in uh, our home while we were gone. No big deal. And I learned faith, and I could trust those women. And when I came back, uh, two of them told me this story. You know, Mary Ellen, we came early. We opened up your house And like good compulsive overeaters, we went and opened up your refrigerator. (laughs) We wanted to see what you were eating for abstinent meals. So we are not a glum lot. And uh, what happened was... My husband and I had emptied the refrigerator, and the only thing that was in the freezer was the top of our wedding cake, which is really small. And for those of you who have eaten your entire birthday cake on your birthdays in the past, like me, ate my whole birthday cake when I turned 30, you know what was going through their minds. (laughs) They wanted to take a little sliver. You know, those micro slivers? We'd do like 17 of them thinking that no one else would know that we'd eaten that sliver of the cake. Well, anyway, they didn't touch the cake because it was so small and we would have noticed. Anyway. If you go to a step study for 23 years, four times a year, every Monday night, Halloween is likely to occur on a Monday sometime. (laughs) So it was a group conscience for the women who met in my home that what we would do is we'd put a sign on my door saying, no one home, and somebody brought candles, And we turned off all the lights, and we had a candlelight step study. And it went well, and we persevered, and we were working step 10, and we got that principle. And we were all happy that we had spent that Halloween evening with each other. We put our hands in each other's hands. And then uh, the meeting was over. We turned on the porch light, And um, everyone from the step study started to exit. And lo and behold, two of my neighbors were out on their stoops. And they had these big, huge bowls filled with Halloween treats. And they said, oh, great. Great there weren't many trick-or-treaters this year. We have a whole bowl. Please take as much as you want and take it home with you. (laughs) Fortunately, someone in this program um, gave me a few scripts to use in those situations, and I just said to my neighbors, you know, I'm not doing candy today. And the rest of the women kind of... uh, took my lead, and off they went home. And they spent another Halloween without tricking or treating. Let me just check my time here, and I want to go over. We need to hear Terrell's story. What else happened? During uh, those 17 years of going to committed step studies, um The first one that I had, and this was a while ago, I thought it was all about me, so I thought I had to market this meeting. So I made a flyer and I got out my o a address book, and I called everybody I knew. And uh, women from the previous step study called their buddies, and let's get this big group. And I thought I was in charge of who showed up. And it took me quite a number of years as um, with each cycle of the steps, I realized I was never in charge Of the women that chose to come to my home some of them were not abstinent and for 12 weeks they committed at the end of the meeting just for this week ladies I'm not gonna eat I'm gonna be abstinent for 12 weeks and someone would usually get abstinent it's a powerful experience When we met in a home, we practiced the concept of confidentiality, which is kind of a higher degree of anonymity. Since we're together and we kind of bond over the 12 weeks, and everybody is committed to working on the principles and getting the steps and solving our soul sickness... So when we go home, we will not be prompted or motivated to use food to silence our minds when we, that chatter comes up. And um, among those women who showed up in my home, one woman um, in a group, I remember, she would wait till everyone left, and then she would use the restroom— And then when she was finished, she would come downstairs, and she said, you know what? I'm supposed to call my sponsor right now. I have an appointment with her. And so she'd use my landline to call her sponsor. And I said, okay, go ahead, do it. You know, I wanted to put my pajamas on and go to bed because I had to get up and go to work the next morning. And so I let her do that, and then she started doing it every week. And um, eventually, I did set a boundary with her. But what I learned is that lots of people are different than I am. They're night owls. And she was lonely, and I couldn't fix her loneliness. But she could come to the step study, and she could meet with other women for an hour and a half, And she could practice being with others. And we role modeled for her how she didn't need to be lonely and she didn't need to eat over her loneliness. And I learned a lot from her. I had a lot of hope. Another woman I discovered who came to the STEP study threw out her scale when she started. So we're on step one. And she said, no scale at my house. Not going to be a slave to that. And midway through uh, the step study, um, she announced during the commitments, well, I've lost X number of pounds. And we were wondering, you know, where that came from. How did she figure that out? Well, over a year because she had been coming to the step study for a whole year, every Monday, she would weigh herself on my scale. (laughs) And you know what? I don't even know if my scale was accurate. It was a number for me that stayed consistent over the long haul. But um, whatever works. And I learned from these women. I learned to have faith in other fellows and members of Overeaters Anonymous, and they taught me how to have hope and honesty and believe in myself and trust myself, and they taught me humility that I was not in charge of who showed up for the step study. My higher power was in charge, and the right people would always show up. I'm Mary Ellen, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I am so happy to have spent the last uh, 30 years minus 38 days at a medically sound weight range using the tools. You answered my phone calls. You talked to me after meetings. You came to my home. You listened to my stuff. Even when I repeated it, every Monday, for a whole year. But I got over it. I got over it, and I found a way not to leave Overeaters Anonymous. I found a way to stay. One of the tools I used was participating in a committed, closed step study every Monday night. And for that, I'm grateful.
0: Thank you, Mary Ellen. I'll introduce our next speaker, fellow I just met a bit while ago. Pretty interesting guys from uh, the Los Angeles area. That means north of Camp Pendleton. <laughs> 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 I want to <laughs> I want to introduce Tyrell. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Terrell, I'm a compulsive overeater, and uh, I'll qualify, Uh, my top weight is somewhere around 325 pounds, and uh, I have 36 years of abstinence, so, Um, and I I need to get this out of the way quickly. Pam, who is, the, I think, the chair of the L.A. birthday party this year, or this coming year, she's riding back to L.A. with me, and if I did not mention you need to go to L.A. birthday party in June <laughs> or January, she will be very upset, and I'll hear about for three hours on the ride home how I didn't say anything about the, OA, the L.A. birthday party. So that is now done. <laughs> Pam missed it, but you can all tell her that I said it. Um, so, let's see. How did I get here? I didn't like life. And I found a solution, and it was called food. And the uh, solution was, if I can f- get stuffed enough, if I can be miserable enough from food, I have to think about anything else except the misery from food. I can, I can be f- stuffed. I can be thinking about how I'm going to get some more food. I can think about the food that I just experienced just ate, but I have to think about my alcoholic parents. I have to think about all the um, nowadays with the term would be bullying that I got at school. I have to think about any of that. I could just think about how am I going to get some more food? Where can I hide it? Oh, my God, I'm so fat. Oh, my gosh. And if I can just be good enough... Then life will be better. And if I can just die, then your life will be better. And that was my, that was my thought processes. Uh, Needless to say, I came from this dysfunctional alcoholic family, like most of us do, but not all of us. And uh, we all found a way to get out of the family. And my brothers and I talk about it how we all found a way to get out. And uh, I discovered a fudge sickle at age four. And it changed my life, and it literally changed my life. Um, I had been I was living in Oklahoma, I was born in Oklahoma, and I excuse me there better. Um, I was born in Oklahoma and I was um, shipped to California to, uh, because my parents were getting a divorce, and I came to live with my aunt um, and grandmother. They were in Los Angeles, and I showed up with an Oklahoma accent, and I was different and um, for some reason, I discovered this sickle and life became good. Life became good. And, you know, they talk about in AA where they get that first drink and that first warm glow, and, and like, life just became changed. I remember that sickle. It came from a dairy. And as, in, in, as, we, as they talk about in an AA and Alcoholics Anonymous and in drug addicts, I started pursuing that high that high that I got from food. And I'm very clear that I got a high from food because it changed my perception. And that's what I wanted it to do. I wanted to change my thought processes. I wanted to feel good. You know, it, it's, um, our literature says that we are sensitive people. And I ate because I was sensitive. I was sensitive to life, sensitive to to everything, that your glance could destroy me. Your lack of attention could destroy me. And the only way I know how to deal with that was to eat dried spaghetti in the bathroom by myself. And it was dried spaghetti because ice cream was counted, bread was sliced, so you could count that. But no one seemed to be counting dried spaghetti. My mother never came to me and said... There, I thought I had a whole thing of dried spaghetti in there, and it's not there anymore. So I found the solution in dried spaghetti, eating in the bathroom by myself. What happened was that I, be, I, was, uh, I got to, th- like I so said, 325 pounds, mercilessly picked on at school. My stepfather one day said, you know, you're, you're a fat-ass kid. Why don't you get out and make some friends? Get out of the house. All you do is lay around and watch TV, why don't you lose some weight? And I said, if I could, I would, but I can't. And uh, somehow, within a short period of time, I wound up at an OA meeting. I was 17 years old. And uh, OA was a bunch of women. And I was a 17-year-old boy. And, uh, but my first meeting, this man talked about um, he had lost 100 pounds and he had kept it off. And so at my very first OA meeting, I got something that I have never lost as long as I went to my first OA meeting, and that was hope. Hope that I don't have to live my life binging. Hope that I don't have to live my life in misery. Now, I also talked about all these steps and so forth. Not for me. They're for my sick alcoholic parents. We talked about God. I prayed to God. I knew about God. He, had, he was an asshole. <laughs> I used to pray to God. say, God, when I wake up, please let me be thin. Or please let me be, you know, have my parents stop drinking and fighting. And I'd wake up fat. And I figured that I got to deal with God. God hated me. For all the horrible deeds I had done. And all the horrible thoughts I had done. And my, my, my punishment was this life. So, but I took a gray sheet of paper, which was offered at that t- point in time. It was a great food plan. And I lost 125 pounds in five months. Um, 17-year-old boy working on a shipping and loading dock. You know, it won't happen today, I assure you. <laughs> um, but what happened, was, so I lost the weight, but I didn't do the things that made me seek excess food. I didn't write the inventories. I didn't do that stuff. So I had to go out and eat again. I come from the school of thought, which is basically our school of thought, which is in our literature, that says, I have this disease called compulsive overeating. That I will seek excess food, or restricting food, or whatever with food. But I have my disease is I will seek excess food to take the edge off. That if I can't kill myself, I will numb myself out with food. The problem with numbing myself out with food is I don't get to cherry-pick which emotion I get rid of. So I found that when I binged, I took away all feelings, all emotions. I became numb. I became dead on the inside. Which then means I don't get to experience joy, happiness, frivolity, because I was dead, because I didn't want to feel hurt. So um, since, I didn't do, since I didn't work a 12-step program, I had to go eat, and I did. I got back up to like 250 pounds, 275 pounds. Then I uh, came out of the closet, discovered the wonderful world of um, sex, I guess you could say. And uh, basically lost. I, I got down to 160 pounds. And I maintained my weight at 160 pounds for about five years, four years by eating nothing but donuts all day long. I mean, eating donuts. I wouldn't eat all day long. Literally, you, I mean, I might have a salad, but I didn't eat because you folks told me it's not the first bite that puts the weight on. I mean, it's not the hundredth bite that puts the weight on. It's the first. And I discover about being safe from food. And I am very clear that if I start, and you taught, you taught me this, that if I start, there is no end. Therefore, don't start. Well, I took it to the extreme, right? Because I'm a black or white. I mean, that's what we are, right? Compulsive readers, we're black or white. Like, well, if I just don't eat, and I, I, who here hasn't said, if I could just take a pill for all my nutrition and then to deal with food, then I would be happy, right? That's what we want. We want people like, okay, I don't want to deal with food. I just don't want to think about it. I just want it to be, take that and put it over there. The problem is we, we have to eat for nourishment. So... Um, I maintain my weight by eating nothing during the day except maybe 9 or 10 donuts at night. Um, if you order a dozen donuts, it makes you a compulsive reader, so I always order 9 or 10. Um, true. And then also, um, so what happened? I was uh, told by my eye doctor, who's fitting me for, for, for contact lenses, that if I did not stop eating sugar, I'd be blind within a year. For from either hypoglycemia, uh, hypoglycemia or diabetes, which runs in my family. Um, and I then put on 30 pounds in six weeks. And while I was binging my way in Europe, because I was in Europe when this was happening, um, I was on vacation, I remember thinking, I can still see. And when things start to go gray, that's when I will stop. And I always like to tell that story. Because that reminds me Every time I tell that story, what I'm willing to do for food. I'm willing to sacrifice my eyesight for one more bite of chocolate. It wasn't for a binge. I wasn't sacrificing my eyesight for a binge. I was sacrificing my eyesight for one more bite of chocolate. Just one more. Just one more bite. Please, let me have one more bite of chocolate. It's all I need. Is just one more bite. If I get my one bite, then I'll be good. Um, so when I came back from... Uh, and this is where I also know that no matter what I say from the podium, it doesn't mean anything. It's what you hear. This newcomer, or this gal came up to me one time and said, Terrell, I really want to thank you. Um, I, was, I abstained through Europe, and I kept telling myself, if Terrell can abstain in Europe, I can abstain in Europe. If Terrell can abstain in Europe, I can abstain in Europe. I didn't have the heart to tell her like that was where I put on 30 pounds in six weeks. But you know what? She has stained in Europe, and that's all that matters, right? It's what she heard. Um, so I came back, and I, uh, I uh, basically called my sister who was in program and said, I need to dry out. I tried kicking sugar in Europe, and I was unable to do that. And um, at that point, we, at this time, we didn't have eating disorder units. We had to co-turkey it. We literally had to kick sugar on our own. We had to pace the floors on our own. You know, and just I mean, it, now, I mean you could do a phone call, but there was no like let me go into an eating disorder unit, and it was just literally you did it by yourself, and you just shook it out. Um, and uh, my sister said, I, "I've got company. I'll take you to a meeting on Sunday." Um, and I got out the big book because I knew. And I read the big book from cover to cover. And I went to my first meeting, and in my first meeting, there was a man, one more time, a man was speaking. And but which kind of blew that excuse that it was there's all women, I can't go back to OA because it's all women. I'm a gay man. Well, I also found out there was five to six meetings a week at the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center in Los Angeles, so there blew that excuse about <laughs> being gay and not being able to fit into OA. Then also, the man who spoke was a moderate mealer. There went that whole thing, well, I can't do that gray sheet of paper again because I have a life. <laughs> and so I found that by coming back to OA... That every one of my excuses and every one of the reasons why I could not participate in OA was all in my head. For any particular excuse that you think that you have that OA is not right for you, that it doesn't fit for you, you understand I'm different, I have an exceptional case here. <laughs> it's all BS in your head. <laughs> We're very clear in our in our traditions, it says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. There's nothing about gay there. There's nothing about men there. There's nothing about you have to eat two eggs and an orange for breakfast there. The only requirement is you want to stop and be willing to stop. Now, that's the difficult part, right? Because I want to stop. I want to be thin. I don't want to give up food. I want to be thin. I want to reap all the benefits of being thin. I don't want to stop eating. It's the the age-old problem, right? How do I get to eat as much as I want, be happy, joyous, and free, and be thin? That's the age-old problem. The good news is, if you work a 12-step program called Ovaries Anonymous, you will eat as much as you want. We change what we want. That's the miracle. So I, I came back and I got abstinent. Um, started going to six, seven meetings a week, became we fellowship, started sponsoring food sponsoring someone, got a sponsor, and then I uh, lost the weight I gained in Europe. And I went to my sponsor and said, you know, Paul, I'm sick and tired of going to these, fat f- these meetings full of fat-ass people. I'm sick and tired of being told what I can and cannot eat, when I can and cannot eat. On a Friday night, I want to be out dancing with the boys in Palm Springs. I going to be sitting in some damn meeting at Cedar sinai Hospital. And I was done with you folks. I'm done. Because, see, you're, you're, compuls- you're all A for crying out Ugh, you know? <laughs> ugh, makes your skin crawl. Like, ugh. O A composite. Ugh. God. Not me. No, please, no. I, okay. I. And so my sponsor said some magic words, and he said, "Remember, Terrell, you're leaving us. We're not leaving you. If you ever want to come back, we'll be here." And my I, my, my response was, well, "Thank you for sharing." What happened is I was driving home from my, from my sponsor's house going, okay, God, you and me, I'm going to eat what I want when I want. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live my life to hell with OA. I'm going to go have some fun. I am going to love life, and I'm going to now e- eat what I want, and I got, the, God, I got you, God, now in my corner. God, where it's all good. And I, did, I drove from Los Angeles to Long Beach a good 45 minutes, 30 minutes, talking to God, just talking and talking and talking to God. I can give you a bit of advice. Shut up. Don't talk to God. Listen. God already knows it. God already got it. Start listening. You don't need to say a lot to God. They can say it's whatever you want. But there comes a time when you need to shut up and listen. So, what happened is on January 5th, 1979, I broke my abstinence. Um, I uh, had two pieces of toast, and that's my last binge, two pieces of toast. I know it doesn't sound much, but what it did to me, it changed my perception. I wanted to go get my donuts, and I saw the donut stand. I was going to get my donuts. I was going to do it. I was going to go binge, and I got scared because you folks said the door will always swing out, but you never know if the door will swing back in. And one more time, I would stepped out. And I got so scared, I started praying. I said, God, please help me. I cannot do it one more time. I cannot do it one more time. Please help me. January 6, 1979, I got up, called my sponsor, and said, I'm back. Now, the reason why I'm absent for this long is because I cannot do it one more time. I cannot do it one more time. What that it? is has nothing to do with weight I maintain my weight at 160 pounds which is 30 40 pounds less than I weigh now on the donut diet what I can't do is hate myself for 24 7 what I can't do is in the morning wake up with that greasy skin feeling and the the coating on the tongue and you just want to die And you realize you're going to do another day. And you hope to God today you don't binge. But you know deep down inside you will. But you hope to God this is the day that I won't binge again. Because you know when you take that another binge, you're going to hate yourself one more time. And you know that the more you hate yourself, the more you want to isolate. And the more that you hate yourself, the more that you just know that other people see how horrible of a person you are. And the more you binge, the more you just want to go somewhere and wait for the body to catch up because you're dead on the inside already. That's the reason why I'm still abstinent. Now, the way I can't do this on my own, I tried for four years. I had the knowledge that you folks taught me. I had the knowledge. I had, when I was binging my way through Europe, I had the book called Sugar Blues in my luggage. Didn't pick it up because I knew if I picked it up, I'd have to take responsibility for that knowledge means I'd have to stop. I didn't want to stop. I didn't have the tools to live. This is a 12-step program. And what program means is that it, it gave me a way to live life, to deal with life on life's terms, to, so that I can breathe. And not have three reasons for every action that I did. Because that's the way I live when I'm not in a fit spiritual condition. Because I'm always so concerned about what you think about me that I have to have three reasons why I move my hand. Because the first reason might not be acceptable to you, so I've got to have a second reason. And if that's unacceptable for you why I move my hand, then I have the third reason. And God forbid one of those reasons is not good enough to make it so that you are okay with me. That's the compulsive reader that I am. That's the diseased brain I have. Now, the good news is, this program has changed my life. And I can tell you that I don't believe in the, in the God of a, like a slot machine, where you put in three prayers and two Hail Marys, or do a meditation, you, you be good to your boss today, you crank that handle, and you get a gift. I was once at this meeting once and these gals were getting up and talking about gifts of the program, they got married. Gifts of the program, they got married. Gifts of the program, they got married. And I got up and said, nowhere, nowhere in my literature does it say that the gift of the program is I get married. (laughs) Nowhere in my literature does it say that the gift of the program is I become financially rich. Nowhere in my literature, does it, in my program, does it say I become some physical manifestation of goodness. It, does, it says we're, we're, that we have a higher capacity of earn. We, it says that we become healthy. But it doesn't say that, also, I'm going to receive the benefits of the kingdom or I'm going to reap these whatever. Whenever I start thinking about that, then I have to remember that I'm losing sight what this program tells me. This program is about love and service. Did I smile at someone that I, should, that, that I don't want to smile at today? That what happens for me is this program has changed my insights, so that when I wake up in the morning, I'm looking forward to the day. When I wake up in the morning, I am loving life. That when things don't go right, and believe me, in 36 years, life has not gone right. But there is a sense of joy and happiness that by working a 12-step program and turning my will my life over the care of my higher power, not your higher power, my higher power. And my higher power has changed in the past 36 years. Right now, I'm a, probably a certified atheist. I don't believe in God, a supreme being, divine being, whatever. You don't, you don't have to convince me that there is. I won't convince you there isn't. Deal? You have your higher power. I have my higher power. But I tell you what my higher power is, love, kindness, hope, belief, sincerity, integrity, breath. That's my God. And when I turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power, I become more comfortable with my own skin. And the world is not such a scary place. And the more I turn my will my life over the care of my higher power, I don't need excess food. So I eat as much as I want. Thanks for letting me share.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Terrell. I wanted to say I I first met Terrell, I don't know how long ago. He led a retreat for us. I remember it really well. And I I was very impressed by how open he is and sincere. And what can I say about Mary Ellen? Um, I am one of the women that has gone to her step study year after year. I started the step study with my Dear Departed sponsor, Vivian, and, uh, who also managed my wedding. And Vivian told me that I needed to go to a meeting where my husband was not going to be. And so I w- started going to her step study. And then we started going at Mary Ellen's house. And Mary Ellen and I, when we started, were both younger. <laughs> <laughs> Single mothers of boys. Talk about a challenge. Single mothers of boys. And so we got to learn about that. We got to mentor each other through that. And and I, I just can't tell you all of those things. The way that we cross each other's paths is amazing. Now I have a couple of things. Now Terrell mentioned that... L.A. birthday party <laughs> so I'd like to ask the people from the L.A. birthday d- party to come down and they're going to do a little something, skit or something for us <laughs> yay